Hello, welcome for waiting to waiting for game, the weekly podcast <laughs> presented by Melee Stats. Uh, I am your host, Give Me That Wheat. I am a tournament seeder. I uh, help with the top 100 from PG, and uh, with me today is my co-host Edwin Budding, the author of the book of Melee. What is up, Edwin? Not much, man. I'm excited to talk about a great weekend of Melee, a uh, bunch of really cool things happened at Riptide, and I'm really happy that we got a great guest for today. None other we, than yeah. the Riptide champion. The winner of Riptide. We have Logan. What is up, Logan? Uh, what's up? Uh, I'm Logan, the artist formerly known as LSD. Um, I just got back from Ohio. Interesting place. I had Olive Garden. I think it absolutely destroyed my stomach. Uh, I got to see blue skies. I live in the city, so that's pretty rare for me. Uh, but yeah, it's going pretty well. So we're going to talk a lot about uh, Riptide. You know, this is the first we, we talked about. It. This is the first open major back that Smash has seen in such a long time. But Logan, I got to ask, what did you get at Olive Garden? Uh, I got chicken. Uh, it's like Alfredo, but it had like five different names. And when the waiter brought it to me, he was like, here is your meal with uh, many, many names. And I, I was like, what do you mean? And I, I looked back on the menu and I realized, like, the thing I ordered was, like, incredibly, like, complex. And it was just, like, like the actual name itself was by far the longest thing on the menu. And I got it specifically because I was just interested in seeing what it was that had that many names. And it was, like, some weird, like, shell-stuffed thing. Uh, but it was pretty good. <laughs> a complex meal for a complex gamer. Um, <laughs> you have, you, you over the weekend, you showed your prowess at the game by winning the fantasy bracket. Um, mm. you, you must have some intel that uh, the rest of this podcast doesn't because uh, I didn't get anywhere near first. I didn't make one. Edwin, did you make a fantasy little fantasy no team? I, I did not but i but given my luck in predictions last weekend may, maybe i should have <laughs> yeah i think uh you know you were on to something you you predicted ibw would win um so like what a what a crazy uh crazy prediction and, and it did end up to turn out like uh we saw a pretty monumental thing i think um i think the gravity of the situation uh, of like ibw winning this is uh for me personally, it's it's a little muted just because I think we all knew that he could do it. Um, I, I like I think that this tournament was really uh, it was set up to be a tournament that w could possibly be really good for him, and obviously we saw through his bracket that he did really really well. You know, he ended up winning. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure if people are surprised, but regardless, this is still like a monumental uh, you know occurrence. Edwin, uh, I like how many people have we seen win a major of this size? So. Uh, me and Pika, my fellow Smash historian, have talked about this a lot, and uh, I would say that IBDW, based on like, I mean, a lot of this depends on what you would count as a major and what you would say doesn't count as a major, and of course, within majors, there's dele delineations you can make between super majors and smaller ones, but I would say that for winning a tournament like Riptide, given who is there, so IBDW, HBox, Up and Wizrobe, some pretty have pretty strong players. I know Mango and Zane aren't there, but you know you still have people that are capable on the outside of winning super majors. Given the level of talent, given the circumstances of this being the first open major since the, you know, in, in a long time since the pandemic started, I think both the uh, importance of the event, the talent at it, made it at least a smaller, like on, on the lower end of majors. 
And when you look at tournaments comparable to it, it's a really small list of people who have won them. Just about like 18 people in melee history after last weekend. It's it's quite rare that you have um, you have someone like IBDW who you know is good, who who you know is getting better. And obviously, it's it's just a matter of time until someone someone like him can finally put it all together for a weekend. But mm-hmm. I I but I feel like it it's worth noting how extraordinary this is in melee history. It's not easy to win an event like Riptide, even if there's no Manga or Zane. Like this really does cement IBDW in a in a elite in like a pantheon of players. Not many people can say that they've accomplished this kind of thing. So you mentioned, you know, obviously this tournament didn't have Zane, this tournament didn't have Mango, and I think we might get into what that entails for the uh, what the bracket ended up being. But I, it's going to sound funny. It got it has it goes without saying. No Armada. How important is Armada to you? You said eighteen people. What um? How important is Armada's lack of you know competitive drive? I don't want to say competitive drive. Um, what has Armada's retirement done to the number of major winners that we've seen recently? Well, since our since Armada's retirement, or at least at the very least since his last like real big event, I would say that like I would say that at least in the last three years, so this is including the tail end of Armada's career, we've had four new major winners between Zane winning Shine and obviously Genesis. We've had Wizra winning Smash and Splash. We have Axe winning Summit. Now we've had IBDW winning uh, winning Riptide. So this is four new people to this level of play that we can confirm at least of being able to win a super. I'm not saying that other or being able to win a major. I'm not yeah. saying that other players can't do it. I'm not saying it's not I'm not saying it's impossible for someone like S2J or even AMSA on the right day to maybe to maybe take a tournament. But at least as far as a group of people that we know have done it, uh it's undeniable, in my opinion, that the last three years have been pretty, pretty big, big for that. And whether that's because Armada's not there, whether Armada saw the horizon of new competitors c- coming Oh, come up. on. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm saying I don't subscribe to this idea. No, I, I'm, I'm saying this like half, half jokingly, but, but regardless, what, whatever the circumstances are, whether he's the escape of the field has definitely opened up uh, quite mm-hmm. a bit in the last few years yeah i i'm not sure uh you know i I think that as big of an occurrence we talk about this is uh you know you say 18 people have won majors in let's say you know probably we probably weren't having majors in 2001 2002 uh maybe 2000 what would you say the first major was 2003 2004 2004-ish like i I would say so so like 18 players in like 17 years obviously this is a monumental occurrence uh i don't think that this is going to be the last time that we're, you know, I could see a waiting for a game episode at some time in the next year where we do the same exact thing. Like we talk about how there's a 19th person. Um, I definitely don't think that this is something that melee is, uh, you know, obviously melee has proven to be such a, a tough game to, to really crack into uh, that like really top echelon. But I think we have a ton of players who can do so. Um, Logan, I want your opinion. So you were in top eight. Uh, did you get to watch any of the sets that were happening uh, later in bracket, like uh, winners finals, grand finals, that type of stuff? Mm, after I lost, I left the venue and I went back to my hotel room and I listened to Frank Ocean's Blonde in the shower. Um, so I didn't really watch any of the other sets, but later on I went back and watched it. And I think 
a lot of the results that happened were uh, a little bit kind of reaffirming of the status quo in Melee as it stands. So like Kadoran losing to Wizrobe, uh, worse than he lost to Wizrobe before when Kadoran really looked like he could just like take the set from Wizrobe. Mm-hmm. Uh, IBDW winning. I thought IBDW would win uh, all along, mainly because he's just the third best player and none of the other um, top Third best or there. third best in North America? Third best in the world. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really uh, think Leffen is on the level of IBDW right now, but he could definitely be like there if he wanted to just due to his natural ability to like like learn, like his optimized learning process. I think he could take IBDW's spot, but like as it stands, he's a little bit uh, like below uh, the, I guess, the top echelon right now, specifically just because he doesn't have like that access to uh, top level practice in tournaments. Like there was a point where he was playing Zane uh, a lot uh, through that cross country net play or cross uh, ocean net play, I guess you could say. But I haven't really seen him been playing too much recently. He's been really focusing on strives. So I would say I put IBDW in the third spot in the world right now. Damn. I mean, <clears throat> it's uh, it's hard cont- to contend with, you know, the fact that IBW just won a major. Uh, so I, I definitely think that's an opinion. I, I mean, more than anything, I just want to see. I want to see that, right? Like that is something that we have been waiting to see. So hopefully we get to see it. Uh, before we go on, what's your Frank Ocean song? Uh, Siegfried. Oh, okay. I'm a Chanel guy. Mm. <laughs> I like uh, pyramids. I like wow, Siegfried, look at us. Self-control. Uh, those are probably my favorites. So, uh, when you mention, so talking about self-control, um, how do you have self-control when, when looking back at your, at your matches? Like, do you, are you the type of person who, you know, same day watches your matches back or, you know, is this something where, uh, like we've seen a, a great rise in your play. Do you are you someone who uh, watches your sets back? Um yeah, I I, I watched my set uh, with Axe immediately, um that like same night. Uh, I didn't really feel too bad about losing because I think I did pretty well. Uh, I definitely made a lot of like progress, even though I took less games than I did at Summit. I feel like I played much better, and every game that I did play was way closer. Because in the act set, I got blown out the first two games. And then, like, the third game, I started to kind of pick it up. But during the set with him uh, at Riptide, I was playing my best the whole time. Mm-hmm. And really, the deciding factor was the fact that I was so nervous on the stage. I think if I wasn't so nervous on the stage, I could have won the set. Huh. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, you mentioned how... For, uh, before I, I say anything, I want to say... Um, <clears throat> Logan Axe, uh, I don't, I don't know how that's gonna become uh, if we keep seeing it in the future, but I'm liking that as a little, little, uh, little rivalry. So we'll see how that progresses. Um, but yeah, you know, you mentioned how Riptide in your mind kind of was affirming, uh, but just by seeing the results. I think when I look at Smash Summit 11, I think um, it was, you know, kind of affirming of the the status quo from uh from all the craziness that was slippy i think that like the the up-and-comers really proved themselves uh at smash summit 11 you know i think that um uh with the exception of yingling i think that all the people who were like not top 50 on the 2019 mpgr all end up taking sets which is like such an incredible thing 
but I definitely think it was like closer to the land that we saw. And I think that Riptide was a little bit of another step further. Um, not something that is like unthinkable to happen, uh, you know, on, on line or anything like that, but just kind of something that might be a skew a little closer to what we remember from lands. And I, and I, I got to ask you as someone who has, uh, you know, you were at smash summit 11, you obviously got top eight at Riptide. Um, what was the you know the atmosphere of the the change of the two tournaments were so different? How did that change affect you as a competitor? Um, I was a lot less nervous on land than I am on net play. I think uh, on land when I can see like the other opponent, I feel like I have just a better uh, mentality in general. Like net play, I get really tilted very easily in net play, but on land, I'm pretty like calm overall. And I, I think that's just because. Um, when you're playing someone in netplay, you can kind of forget that there's someone else on the screen, and it feels very robotic and a little bit lonely. Um, and those kind of negative feelings can compound. But on land, like with all that sense of community and uh, group experience, it really makes for a more positive experience overall. Like going to land tournaments feels a lot more healing than going to netplay events. <laughs> How is the difference between you know the the invitational atmosphere of uh, Summit Eleven versus the 700 plus uh melee entrance of riptide mm, riptide was more stressful by far because mm -hmm. at summit they kind of just take care of everything for you and they basically schedule your day out for you and no matter how you do you're generally going to benefit like you're going to get a ton of twitter followers you're going to get money you're going to get experience no matter what but like at a major you can just like flop and that's just like really bad for your career <laughs> But like at Summit, no matter how well you do, it's just pretty good for you. So there's a lot less pressure for me on Summit. At, at Summit, there was just a lot less pressure in general. Even though there's a lot more people watching, the prize pool was bigger. Uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, let's, yeah, I mean, let's talk about IBW. Uh, we we kind of mentioned this earlier, but, but both of you called this. And uh, with the skill level that we saw at this tournament, I, I, I think honestly... You know, maybe Axe wasn't at this level, but I, but I think like the top five seeds, uh, Hbox, Pluff, Wizzy, IBW, Axe, I think all of them were pretty scary. And uh, I think that there's a lot of different ways this tournament could go. But uh, Edwin, what was your uh, what was your inclination that really made you go towards IBW for winning this and, and watching the bracket actually play out? You know, what were your thoughts um, seeing it all come together? I just like this matchup spread among the top level. I, re I really thought that um, I thought that Summit was kind of a strange situation where he played in sets where uh, against Plup and in Hbox where they were playing like really well and it was mm -hmm. his, it was his first LAN event back and those two had a <clears throat> bit more experience on that level. I, I know IBW hadn't made it to Summit before, but you know Plup and Hbox have been around the block for quite a bit. So heading into Riptide, I was I was quite hesitant to think that his online and rollback success against them was completely outweighed by one tournament, which was which is an unusual one. I, I had faith that he was going to pull through against both of those players. And I also thought that his matchup spread against everyone else is really solid. Like I, it, like, I was trying to think of people who could be potentially scary for him in bracket. Like, maybe not people that he would be disadvantaged against, but I was trying to think of people that, that could put possibly scare him. And a lot of them were on the other side of bracket. Like, I mean, a like, lot of them weren't in bracket in, in general. Yeah, if we want to talk well, about the scariest true. players for IBW, Zane and Mango come to mind. Um, and I, it's not like one of those things. Uh, 
I think that we learned, as we mentioned earlier, that like when Armada didn't go to event, when Armada retired, um, not having to play him in one side of the bracket was really, really easy for a lot of people to like open up the field of who could win a major. Um, and like, I don't want to say it's the same for, for Cody. I'm not going to say that like, Oh, having Zayn and Mango there makes it impossible for him to win. Uh, but I do think that those are the two biggest roadblocks at the moment. I think not having those players made the uh, the level of play. Yeah, I think like the the people who he played here, I would either favor or say it's like basically even. You know, um, I think that he had a really good group of players here who could uh, which could line up in a way to make this happen. Um, so it's one of those things, you know, I mentioned we're not like super shocked that this happened, but it's still a huge deal for him to piece it all together. Yeah, the, the just to kind of add on to what you're saying, I, I totally agree on the on the Mango and Zane point. But I even think just within the entrant field in, it, itself, I, I'm, I'm, I, I think IBW, sorry, Logan, but I, I think IBW would still be favored favored against a lot of the other people but i mean i mean i'll be honest i think it is more favorable for ibdw to get through top eight playing someone like crudo than necessarily mm-hmm. play, playing playing any collection of ginger kadoran and logan right like these are these are scary players in bracket that that could potentially like even if they're not favored over him that's that's another roadblock that that or not roadblock but that's another obstacle that he has to deal with and that like with a player like hunting for hunting for him you know whereas i think like you know i, I think i think crudo certainly knows slouch he, he had a really good tournament at, at this event but like in terms of getting to top eight i thought the the ibdw that we saw on day three was a lot more put together and a lot more a lot more focused in the game and, and a lot better playing than necessarily ibdw on, on day two of this event yeah like we saw we saw wally like we saw wally wally lose a set but kind of scare him a little bit early on we saw him play a little nervous against Panda and then collect it together. And I think, you know, if, if Wally and Panda are instead Kadoran and, or Logan, or like if, if it's say like, you know, if Axe is there, does IBDW pull through? Maybe, but it's a lot harder, right? So come, so when, when we, when we reached top eight on Sunday, I, I looked at IBDW and HBox and I said, I think this set is going to, I, I thought to myself, I think this set is going to determine who wins the event because it would it, it would be really difficult for either of them to overcome the remaining field and losers. For sure, um, Logan, you were mentioned as a scary player for uh, IBW. You you played Cody both online and now on LAN, I believe. I believe you played him at Smash Summit Eleven. How do you feel about him as a competitor? Um, directly, you know, like while playing him uh, related to your matchup, and then how do you feel about just how he's playing generally? Mm, I think IBDW is definitely better than me right now. Uh, he's definitely a clear cut above me, and I don't think I'd be favored going in any set versus him. But my skill level is kind of random at times, and sometimes I just win sets that I'm not expected to win. Uh, so like I th- I don't think like I couldn't take a set from him. I just think in the long run that I wouldn't be able to. Like his skills of adaptation and awareness are like farther along than mine right now. So over a long period of time, I have less of a chance of taking a set. But um, like the faster the set goes, the more likely I am to do it. Nice. Um, yeah, definitely something that, uh, I could see pop up in the moment. Yeah. But he's such a scary player. Um, let's, uh, let's kind of scale this back a bit because I talked about how the, 
top four, top five for this event, or it's kind of up in the air. You know, IBW uh, was a little <laughs> not too happy that he was fourth seed, but that just goes to show like just how close the uh, the level of talent was at the event. The skill level was just of, of this like top echelon so close. Um, and I, I think like we're all still learning a lot about these top players uh, in how they're returning to land and, and what they have to show right now. I think Plup, even though I, I considered him, you know, he's definitely a person who was uh, one of the favorites to win. I think he was still super impressive. Um, like uh, one of those players who can kind of be a question mark. We, we've seen him toy with that, uh, you know, the number one spot a bit. He wasn't really ever definitively number one, but we saw him in the striking distance of it. Uh, and then recently for land, we've seen him, uh, be someone who, if he find if he sees like a S fat or a fiction or something like that in bracket, could be scary. Uh, I think his event was was pretty affirming of, of like uh, what we could see from Plup going forward. Uh, you know, going three uh, two with H box. Even though uh, I, I don't know, did you guys get to end up watching that set? That uh, yeah, dude, that game four set. on Yoshi's. <laughs> yeah, uh, while that. Uh, Dude, that is that's there's like three rest opportunities in a row. It's super scary, but uh, he was able to clutch it out with Sheik, which is um, I think a question mark that a lot of people had, right? When it comes to Plup, it's uh, his Fox is, is extremely good. If he ever busts out of Samus, his Samus is very good as well. But I think if you want to determine how good Plup is going to be on any given day or any given tournament, I think that it's the Sheik that's the determining factor. And to see him feel enough confidence to go Sheik versus H Box was uh super cool um so i i mentioned how plop was someone who was a bit of a question mark on how he would do on land i think like we have to talk about probably the biggest question mark of the top players uh which is hbox hbox is someone who over the course of net play we have seen a lot of losses we have seen a lot of names be etched into the uh the this, the history of melee, you know, the through the annals of melee history. Um, that being said, it's like with two land events now, where I think we're kind of getting a, like a little bit of a a window into what 2021, maybe 2022 Hbox might look like. So the big question is, knowing what we know, seeing what we've seen, do you guys think that Hbox will win a major in 2021? Logan, do you have uh, any opinions on this? Mm, I think he will, and I think he'll do it dominantly. Um, I have a lot of faith in HBox, actually. I think HBox, when his mentality is right, is uh, definitely better than everyone. <laughs> Damn. Um, um, yeah, I mean, you, you were a practice partner with him for a bit, right? Yeah. His general like ability to win is like nearly completely dependent on like how he's feeling. Like, if his mental is there and he has, like, the drive to win, he can just win versus anyone. But he's been, like, I was talking backstage. It was, like, me, HBox, and IBDW, and we were just talking about how, like, really HBox just needs to work on his mentality. Like, his game skill is all there. Every, everything he needs to just win sets is all there and win mm -hmm. majors. But um, he's kind of holding himself back with his, I guess, lack of drive and um, desire to... Uh, kind of branch into content creation and ultimate and that kind of thing. Like, I think if he just solo focus on melee, he could do whatever. Do you think? So that are you saying that he chooses to lose? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Hbox loses when he said chooses for sure. <laughs> uh, it's hard to disagree with that statement. Hbox does only lose when he so chooses. Um, 
Yeah. So do you think you, you're saying that uh, mentality is one of the biggest thing that brings HBox back, but you still think that he's going to win a major. Do you think that he would still be able to win a major in his current state of, uh, you know, obviously being very into content creation, being very into ultimate, or do you think that the only way for him to win a major in 2021 is for him to just really go gung ho about melee? Mm, I don't think in his current state, he's going to win a major. Uh, I don't think there's really a shot of that. I just, I'm specifically speaking from like the perspective of this player has an insane amount of potential uh, if they like choose to focus on melee. Mm-hmm. Uh, but honestly, if I was HVAX, I don't really see the reason to just like go hardcore into melee right now. Like, uh, you were number one for a long time, so you have that, and you're making so much more money just doing other things and getting so much more like status just not playing melee. <laughs> Why would you just? <laughs> what does he have to prove? He doesn't really have any. He doesn't really have anything to prove to anyone. That's really the thing. That's what makes HVAX so good when he like. Is feeling it. That's the, that's literally the reason why HBox wins sets when he's like playing, like when his mentality is there, is because he has something to prove. He has something like he needs to like show people. And right yeah. now, he kind of has everything. So he just does not need to show anything to people. He has nothing to prove to anyone, which ironically is just like making him just not like have that competitive drive. Yeah. I, I do think that, um, you know, uh, we talk about HBox a lot on this podcast. I, I feel like it's impossible not to talk about HBox in any given week. But uh, we we end up talking a lot about it. But I, and I, I really do agree with you. I think that um, HBox has, like, such a high base level of skill. I mean, he's one of the top three or four players of all time. Um, obviously, it goes without saying that, like, he's able to maintain such a high level of play, uh, even if he might not be giving it his all. But I do think that like a non-zero aspect of uh, how much he decides to care is kind of based on proving people wrong, you know, uh, whether it be about him not being as skilled or about Puff not being good or about him not deserving to be invited to Summit 10 or, you know, like whatever it is. I, I do think that like the the way that HBox ebbs and flows is not entirely based on when people call him bad, but it's like it's definitely a uh, able to like kick him into gear and an HBox that is kicked in the gear. Super scary. HBox like, needs more haters for sure. He definitely needs more haters to play. Do you think he needs more? <laughs> yeah. You don't think he's doing enough with the, with the number of haters he has? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's an interesting, uh, yeah, sure. Anyone who's watching out there, Logan says HBox needs some more haters. So if, if you're currently <laughs> on the fence, if you're a fence sitter on the whole HBox issue, mm. uh, you know which way to go. Edwin, you have, to, you have to hate him in like a way that makes him play better. Though. <laughs> <laughs> you have to hate him in a very specific way. You have to call him bad. <laughs> Edwin, I'm sure you've got some thoughts on this. I do, actually. So, I am sleeping on HBox in 2021 for many of the reasons that you both are bringing up. You know, split, split priorities, not necessarily feeling like he has to prove himself at the moment. I know. I mean, this is all armchair stuff, but I think the the bigger thing, in, in my opinion, is that the top level field is really difficult. There are a lot of killers. They all now play different characters against him. You know, we if if you look at Hungry Box's career, I'm speaking strictly as a historian, as someone who <laughs> follows tournament results. Hungry Box is like the king of smaller majors. He used to go to events where it was just like you know Plup and Mute King or maybe Armada and someone else, and he'd get first or second at him. Mm-hmm. He'd attend a lot of tournaments. He'd win a lot of tournaments. And even when there were people who would consistently scare him or maybe even have the advantage against him, 
most people would either lose before reaching to H box or they would DQ at the they would DQ at the event because they were playing ultimate or some or something else. And I'm not saying that that detracts from HBox's talent or his success. He's an incredible player. He's probably the most accomplished melee player ever in terms of just sheer tournament tournament victories. But you know, like I think for a long time, it, this is going to sound like a weird distinction to make, but it, it felt like he had the least amount of like obstacles in a given bracket before relative to a lot of the a lot of the other competitors at his level of play mm-hmm. it, it felt like he had the least amount of roadblocks with and i think today it actually feels like look we, we've seen hungry box online it's not the same it doesn't seem like by the results we have two offline tournaments seems like a completely different player he's he i think he's pretty legit but i i will say i think that the one thing that we've seen carry over a little bit it's just that everyone got really good and everyone's not playing fox anymore against him you know he going into a super major by the time of genesis assuming we have it he's gonna have to prepare for zane mango plup now and plup someone he used to beat he beat 10 times in a row before but now he has to worry about plup plup as well maybe like even if plup is not favored over him that's a scary opponent Mm. he has to then worry about amsa He's, even though he beat Wizard, you know, he has to prepare for Captain Falcon. Before, those characters were not even, like, like maybe Amsa a little bit, and, and I guess Wizard specifically, but, like, it was not something that you would give much thought. It was that HBox was going to fight a bunch of foxes in this bracket, and if he didn't fight Fox, he was going to win. That's not the case anymore. I think this is the toughest field that, it like, I agree that it seems like HBox is back, but I don't think it's enough in 2021. There's just so many characters, there's so many people with a non-zero chance of beating him, and that's not even going into like the second. Like, what is Ginger versus Hbox like on LAN? Is Hbox favored? Yeah, but like, can Ginger if they play if they play at six tournaments in a row, is Ginger gonna take a set or two? Maybe it se- certainly seems a lot more plausible than it than it did a few years ago. I think it's really tough. I don't think it'll happen this year, but. I'm saying this. This is the this is the ending point. Come 2022, I think HBox is going to realize that there, there's actually quite a bit at stake because the other player in contention for the greatest player of all time is going to continue getting better, and he's gonna, and Mango is going to continue winning tournaments, placing well, beating top players. So I actually think by the by next year, it'll have been what four years since our, Armada's retirement. There's going to be, I don't know how, like, Logan, I'll trust you on this. I don't know how much HBox really cares about, like, all-time legacy and stuff. But I I know for a fact that he has said in interviews before that one of his goals is that he wanted to be the number one player in the world for five years in a row because that was something no one else had done. Well, he did it for three years. He One of, one of the years, and then the year after his third year at number one, uh, we moved to online, and his interest <laughs> for the game kind of, like, for competing kind of fell off from there that, that seemed to be the case for a lot of 2021 until offline results come back logan tell me like do, do you think that this is something that hbox would care about or that could potentially motivate him knowing that he does have a chance to actually become the greatest player but it would re- require taking it as seriously as his biggest rival i think he's less motivated by um i guess external factors such as that and more motivated by like uh, I guess you'd say like his kind of inner feelings on things. So like, does he? I think he would want to prove to himself that he can still win majors, 
Uh, I think that would be like the thing that would motivate him to win majors rather than like legacy or any of that. Cause uh, the only thing like talking to HBox, the only like external thing I've ever heard him like, like say that motivated him that he like wanted to uh, work on was he said to me once a while ago that he wished um, he had as much like status, especially with like streaming as manga and this was, like, before Hboxers, like, stream blew up with Ultimate and stuff. Um, and, like, he eventually got that. Like, he definitely, uh, he eclipsed Mango. And, like, since then, he's just kind of uh, been kind of coasting almost. And I, I really I really think, uh, going back to the question, that he would need some sort of, uh, like, I guess, tournament that where he places very, very badly. I actually think Hbox's chance of winning a major goes up if he has a tournament where he places just really badly. Yeah. Because I, I think what leads to Hbox not winning majors is getting really close and then just like losing. Because I think that's like I think that's the point where like Hbox just like is like okay, well I did good enough. I actually, like, yeah, I I agree really wholeheartedly about that. Um, when when you were talking about how Hbox, you know, about how Hbox kind of needs to prove himself a bit i think that that's you know you were talking about how that's like a uh, non-zero factor um yeah i mean he's got two third place tournaments in a row and i think that like that is really really good um but i, I agree like yeah if he gets 17th at some open major or something like that you know if he goes to low tide city and gets ninth losing to uh like albert and billy bo peep or something i i do think that the next major we see him at is that there's a higher chance of him winning i, I mean yeah, it, it's like really tough in uh, the year of our Lord 2021 to to really determine what HBox could do. Well, I mean, I guess we know that he can can win a major. Um, it's just determining about whether or not that's something we'll see. Uh, I think it's going to be really tough considering whatever majors we or you know regional plus events or whatever whatever in 2021 we consider a major. Um, it's going to have a, a level of talent that could be really difficult for him. So in a couple weeks, we're going to see a Super Smash Con Fall Fest. And if everyone who signed up is going, we will see Zane, we will see IBW, we'll see Wizzy, we'll see uh, people who maybe not like favored, but have a good shot. Uh, Ginger, Logan, yourself. We still don't really know what Lod <laughs> will be like on land. You know, I, I'm a little less... Uh, confident that it'll be like it was on on online but i i still think that like a bracket like that um or a bracket like you know you can throw plop in there or you can throw mango in there i think that like the top echelon of players is so scary and the number of people who can beat him um or or take him really close is really high i think that um like throughout like my time knowing Hbox, the times in which he performs the absolute best are when the most people are counting him out, or when like the most people think he can't do something. Cause that, that's like that's like when everyone just like um is like thinking like oh there's just no chance Hbox takes this. He's just like we'll put him at like fifth seed or something. That's when he wins every single time. <laughs> but like uh like or like the people around him that he respects are kind of, like, dunking on him a little bit. Like, I think, like, for example, streaming, like, Mango is kind of uh, trolling him a little bit with, like, his sub count and stuff like that, kind of making fun of Hbox. 
And then HBox just like <laughs> uh, put everything into streaming after that. Um, and I think we're actually kind of seeing it now with IBDW's relationship with HBox, uh, kind of like motivating him to get his mentality up and kind of almost humbling him a little bit uh, mm -hmm. in order to push him to greater heights. So I, yeah. I think like right now, the reason why I have so much faith in HBox is because it's like, there's this like perfect storm of factors for an HBox miracle run that <laughs> he's being counted out of winning things. Uh, he has people around him that are kind of like uh, playfully like uh, comparing themselves to him and like kind of forcing him to uh, adapt to new circumstances. Like there's people around him that are, what's the word for this? Uh, using their like position in the community to like, kick HBox into gear. So like IBDW is winning stuff now and IBDW is like telling HBox all these things about like how he'll never win unless he does these things and like he gets the mentality up and like HBox is kind of one of those people that um, really, really takes advice from people that are more successful than him. <laughs> so having people that are more successful than him kind of like tell him these things is really going to, I guess, put him in the gear for a big tournament run. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, a few years ago, while HBox was like definitively number one or, you know, um, whatever he was considered at the time. Uh, I, I remember like making up this thing about how I was like, ah, oh, it stinks that HBox keeps winning. You know, it would be really cool if HBox were like 10th in the world and he won, you know, he still had a chance of winning, but he wasn't winning everything. And now it's funny because we're seeing that and it's just like, <laughs> it's kind of, you know, you, you can never let your guard down when it comes to HBox. HBox, if you are a competitor, or if you, uh, I assume, <laughs> um, or if you are a spectator, it's just, like, impossible to 100% to count him out at any given moment. Uh, like, he could end up being whatever. He was, like, 10th seed or something at uh, Summit, and he, you know, got third place. Like, uh, I, I don't think at any moment it's really hard to count him out, but I, I guess I'll end this discussion by saying, that being said, while I think it's really possible to see, uh, we need to see some change that we haven't been seeing. And uh, it, it would need to be, he would need to devote himself to Melee. And also, I don't think it's a 100% like cakewalk. You know, it's not just, oh, he needs to practice Melee and then he'll win everything. Um, I think that the level of play that we're seeing is really good. And a lot of players are pretty, you know, have a decent history um, of doing very well versus hbox uh but yeah let's uh let's move on from hbox to uh to yourself logan let's talk about your experience so this was your first major back this is a lot of people's first major back uh but this was uh something you know you you've been in the spotlight you've done so well over the course of slippy and uh i think you had a little bit of a breakout in terms of just the community some parts of the community um getting introduced to you through smash summit 11. So I definitely think that this, uh, this is a tournament that I don't think a lot of people were in the same boat as you, maybe like you and Ben probably were the only people who were, uh, you know, this level of, uh, um, you know, uh, people, people like really watching you. Um, I want to hear about what your experience was. Mm, so my highest placing at a land major before this one was 49th. Uh, so it was very interesting to uh, kind of experience some of the, I guess, the production elements of 
what makes a major a major and also like just like sitting in front of the large crowd was really strange for me because at summit you go into like this like private room to play and there's no one watching no one really making sounds like you know that a ton of people are watching but there's no one in the crowd like screaming there's no like <laughs> it, it was a very like quiet environment and going for that kind of quiet environment to like the kind of loud uh, i guess rambunctious venue of Riptide was a really interesting experience in uh, practicing mentality. So like kind of stabilizing myself, meditating a lot, that really came into play at Riptide, uh, the things I've been working on in terms of handling tilt. And like, honestly, I went into the tournament with two goals. My first was to make top eight. And my second was after I lost to not be tilted. So like, I, I think I, I did really well with those two goals. So I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. Like after I lost um, J flex, I really, uh, I got really sad, but like, I kind of like, I remember that like, I'm still in the bracket and I kind of pulled myself back together. And then I, I, I kind of did what I do every tournament, which is go to losers mm -hmm. super early and then make a large losers run. <laughs> losers Logan. <laughs> yeah. For some reason I cannot play in winners at all. I think it's because I play my absolute best when my back is to the wall and like, I can't afford to lose. Um, it, it's almost like when I'm in winners, I think to myself, like, it's okay. Like, even if I lose a set, I can still like play losers. And then like, that causes me to lose in winners. So uh, I, I I definitely think it's exposed a lot of the elements of my play that are lacking, specifically in terms of um, almost out-of-game experience. I think this is going to be kind of a hot take, but I think me, Kadoran, like Ben, etc. have the skill to just beat top 10 players. Like, we, we, can, we can literally just, like, take sets off these players. We're not, like, there's no huge skill gap. What it is is the... Um, the experience of playing on those big stages and uh, dealing with that pressure and really like HBox, Plup, uh, Wizard, all those players have extensive experience in those high pressure environments and like really the, the newcomers are still getting used to it. So I really think like the Slippy Generations placements are just going to get progressively better as majors go up and up mm -hmm. and like keep going into the future. I think really the Slippy Kids will just kind of break into top 10. Yeah, that's interesting to hear. Um, I, I think that there's a there's a, a like a, an idea that kind of permeates through the community when they, whenever they see like an up and coming player, and uh, they'll be like, "Oh yeah, they don't have the composure. They're not ready for the big stage." If if it's like a you know, commentators will say this all the time. If there's like a close set between an established top player and an up and comer who you know maybe is not even top 100 yet or something, uh, people commentators will always say like, "Oh, you know." one person's used to this and the other's not uh so it's interesting to hear that you know you were in that situation and and you do feel like there's a bit of truth to that right mm -hmm. and like if you read like Kadoran's twitter he said the same thing and I, I think ben probably thinks the same thing Ben is kind of um ben has a really like stable i guess like presence and that like when you're playing him he did like he doesn't really seem to emote all that much but he really, like, expresses his, like, level of anxiety in his play. So, like, I can always tell when I'm playing Ben whether I win or lose by, like, the first couple stocks. <laughs> like, the whole set, I can just tell instantly. Um, just based on, like, he, he's, he's, like, a player that feels very just shaky when he's, like, stressed out. So, well, like, you did he, have a set versus him. You want to talk about uh, your set of Riptide? Yeah. Um, after the first couple of stocks, I knew that I would win the set. Because just specifically, like, I could just feel that, like, 
Ben was a little bit shaky. I'm a player that really specializes in just destroying people who are like uh, stressed out or anxious or like uh, not playing under their best conditions. Cause like I play such like a, like a, like a aggressive microspacing style that just really puts a lot of pressure on people. Um, so I don't, I don't really, I just, the entire set, I was just not giving him any room to breathe. I was trying to stay all over him, really break through his pressure. I actually, um, I, cho I chose to exploit Ben's mentality more than I chose to just like play the game well. Cause like, there's like a way of playing Marth Cheek. Like, the optimal way to play Marth Cheek is probably relatively defensive and kind of reactive. But if you like versus a sheik that is like stressed out or tilting, if you get really really aggressive and in their face, uh, you can get more openings than if you play the correct style. So I definitely played a more um, exploitative style against Ben than I did versus Axe. Versus Axe, I was like thinking to myself like, okay, let me try and play this matchup as just best as possible because like it didn't really feel like Axe like had any shakiness. Axe didn't really have any like he didn't really feel very stressed out. He <laughs> just felt like in his natural environment. So. I just had to kind of play the game, but versus like the slippy kids, you can definitely like exploit those, I guess, mental uh, disadvantages compared to the players with more experience, like S fat, for example, like you're not going to like, you're not going to get S fat on full tilt. <laughs> That's just not going to happen no matter what you're doing. Like you have to just play like good against him the whole set. How about your set with uh, Tyler Swift? That was a, that was a wacky, wacky one. Hmm. That was a really weird set because, like, that was a set I went into, like, just with the expectation, okay, I'm going to try and play this matchup as well as possible. And then after, like, the second game when you just started SDing a bunch, I just switched my style over to um, put this person in, like, really hard-to-recover situations and see if I could make him SD over and over and over again. And, like, <laughs> it ended up happening, and I felt kind of bad about it because it looked like his box is malfunctioning, but... <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do to beat pikachu for sure <laughs> i think that was actually you know it, it was so funny that the the set turned out like that I, like obviously i felt bad but us marths have been struggling against pikachu for so long i think that was actually like the first time uh I, like i mean I, I guess there's no like rankings now but it's the first time that i can remember like a notable marth beating another like top pikachu player other than like ducks marth beating anther like that's the closest <laughs> thing and, and like Phoebe beating axe in 2013 so yeah. i think for like a eight year stretch of just marth's getting sunned by pikachu i think it finally ended and tyler swift is up 1-0 on both me and kadoran i'm pretty sure so <laughs> yeah there was definitely a lot like going to that set out like after the first game i was kind of thinking to myself oh i'm gonna lose like this is the end of my losers run and then, like, the second game, like, reinvigorated me. And then I just played, like, versus Amida right before I played Tyler Swift, I was, like, sandbagging because uh, I was, like, ugh, lots of J-Flex. This sucks. Like, the whole set. So I just kind of, like, not really in it mentally. But, like, when I saw that I had a chance of beating Tyler Swift, I was, like, oh. And, like, on that, like, I got on that immediately and started, like, playing my best. Game 3 versus like Amida, you, like, you, like, you you just ran him over game three to four is completely yeah. different than game two <laughs> i i was like okay well i, I don't really feel like losing to amita and like <laughs> <laughs> i don't really lose to puff if i'm like mentally in it at all so <laughs> i just kind of did my thing versus puff for sure
Um, but like versus Tyler, it was kind of it didn't really feel like as much like me as much as like Tyler showing like a moment of weakness and it kind of inspiring me to uh, start like trying again in losers. So and I'm glad I did because I was after um, on Friday I was actually thinking about DQing from the tournament because oh, um, I played a session with like OKP and Dreffen and like. I was winning at first, and then, like, this, like, it just kind of, like, I started losing, and then I kind of started remembering that, like, versus, like, a lot of the top people, I always win, like, the first couple games, and then just start losing over and over and over again, so I was, like, I got, like, really, really, like, in my head about that, like, that one friendly session, so I was, like, maybe I should just drop out, like, I don't feel like I'm good enough to be here, and, like, I was just, like, uh, screw it, I'm just gonna do it anyway, (laughs) And I'm pretty glad I did, honestly, because <laughs> every yeah. time I think about like quitting or dropping out, like some of the biggest breaks in my career happen, like literally immediately afterwards. Like I was thinking about retiring right before Summit, um, and then I just went to Summit. I was like, okay. And I was thinking about dropping out, and then I went to retire, and I was like, okay, I got top eight. <laughs> and I feel like the universe has this weird way of just uh, rewarding you for not quitting and like sticking with things. What did you think of your sets with Panda and Bobby Big Balls? Anything? I was actually really nervous going to my set with Panda because what I was thinking to myself is, oh, God, Panda lives in Florida. He just plays Florida Mars all the time. And um, but Panda seemed a little bit kind of out of practice. His movement wasn't as tight as it needed to be. And I kind of noticed that relatively quickly. Like once I got it, because like before I played the set, I was really stressed out. And then, like, after I kind of got into my groove, I was like, okay, this is, these are the weaknesses that have been presented to me. I'm going to exploit them like this. And then I just won. But, like, my mentality fighting Fox is that no matter how good you are, you can always lose to a Fox player. I I think the same thing about Falcon, too. So, I just, like, always, I'm always stressed out before fighting those characters, no matter, like, whether I'm favored or not. But actually, I, <laughs> I feel like I shouldn't be so stressed out about Fox because my record is so, like, decent versus Fox. Like, I have a lot of top 100 Fox wins, but I just don't um, – I don't want to lose to Fox ever. <laughs> it's just a really bad feeling, honestly. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Whenever I'm losing to a Fox, I just think to myself, man, man this guy thinks he's so smart. This guy thinks he's so good at the game. <laughs> yeah, preach. It's like, oh, I want to show him. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, don't get anyone started. <laughs> well, don't get me started on Falcon. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's and, the real. <laughs> he'll go. There's a 35 minute video. You don't have to go on about it. <laughs> hey, it's not 35. It's 15. <laughs> what? Jesus Christ! Just felt 35 to me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Glad uh, I <laughs> support. But yeah, so you talked about Panda. What about Bobby? Bobby is someone who, um, like. I think he was one of the first people online to uh, to really have that like huge breakout performance. Uh, you know, this was pre-Slippy, I think, even. Uh, and obviously, as like online became a thing that we saw for more than a few months, we saw like a kind of a group of, of people coalesce. Um, I'd say like you, Kadorian, Ben, we all mentioned. I think Aklo as well. You know, this group of people who um, I think they like really, really proved themselves. Um, and I think Bobby kind of fell by the wayside in that sense, but still definitely someone who I think improved. How was your set versus him? Mm, so it was kind of conflicting in my head going into it because there's two, I guess, main factors. The first is the history, which is like, obviously like I have a like, huge advantage versus Bobby going based on history. 
But watching his set with, like, I think it was Android Zero, like, it looked like he was just playing it absolutely out of his mind this tournament. And Bobby has come close, really close to beating me before. And he's taken a set off of me, I think. Um, so, like, I know that he can do it. But uh, before the set, I saw that his glasses were fogging up. And that really, like, made me think, okay, Bobby's probably not going to be able to play his best because his glasses are fogging up. So I became significantly less nervous, and then I ended up winning. <laughs> so no, there's like kind of, little... like, ran him over. Yeah, there's, like, a lot of little factors that determine the way I'm going to play versus someone. Like, whether I think they're tilting, whether I think there's factors that could influence them to, like, play worse. Uh, any, like... <laughs> it sounds really strange, but my my game is like strangely land focused for like a player who came up on that play. It's like very um very I guess person to person. So if you're about to play Logan, make sure your glasses don't fog up. That might be the <laughs> best advice that we have. It gives me confidence when I see that the other person's not going to just play like out of their mind. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, hey, it, it all it all proved to work out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I went into the Ben set thinking that, oh, Ben just choked this really important set that was really important to his career. He's probably going to be playing worse. So I just played super aggressive versus him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think your run proved that, uh, like, it kind of uh, assuaged the idea that you might have been, you or people, you know, like we mentioned, Kudorin uh, or Ben, uh, might have been, like, slippy only uh, people, people who would only do well on netplay. Uh, I think that this run kind of proved that. What uh, do you have anything else coming up? I, I know that you're going to. Uh, we, we mentioned early SmashCon Fall Fest. Uh, anything else this year that you have plans to go into? Mm, going to main stage. Hell yeah. Uh, um, I'm gonna try to get into Smash Summit 12 for sure. That's a really big goal. Of Sounds mine. like a plan. Um, I have some like in, like regionals that I want to go to. Like, there's one in North Carolina that I really want to go to in October. Uh, Ryo B invited me to a tournament that might be happening. Um, I don't know if I'm going to go to that one just because New York is a really awkward place. Uh, if I'm trying to drive there, it's like 13 hours and a lot of money. If I'm trying mm. to fly there, it's a lot of money for like a regional. Uh, I really only want to fly to majors. I don't really want to fly to a regional. Uh, I'm going to try and go to SmashCon main stage. Uh, I'm going to try and go to Summit. I'm going to play some regionals. That's about it, really. Cool. I, I think that'll uh, it'll be sick. I, I think it's like um, a really good opportunity for you to show yourself. And I think that two events, two major events into the year already, you've already done so. Um, I want to talk about someone who... We, we talked about Ben. Let's go, let's go to another ninth placer here. Um, someone who, if you are in the Melee Stats podcast Discord server, you've heard this name before. And if you aren't in the server, uh, there's a chance that you might not have heard it. Uh, he's from Ohio. His name is Flash. And I think before this tournament, his stock for almost everyone was, I would say, generously worded, low, uh, probably realistically worded. Like, he was probably not on people's radar. And uh, going into this, you know, I was, uh, <laughs> I'll say it part of the group who seated this event I, and and i do think that uh we talked about whether or not flash how high flash should be seated uh and we came to the agreement that basically this is a player who we think is very good but we need to see it be proven on a, on a large stage we really have only seen like 
five second giffy cats of like neutral interactions versus top players. Uh, but proven on a top st- on, a, on a big stage, it was. We we saw Flash get ninth place, uh, beating beating a lot of players who are in the uh, up and coming you know category. He beat Juicebox. He beat Slow King. But I think the the one that we got to talk about is the Ginger set. Were you so I know you were playing uh you uh, you obviously you're playing to get into top 8. Did you get to see any of the Ginger set or did you watch it later? What was your uh what was your history with that set? Uh later that night after I played through top 20 uh top 24, uh when I went home, I went to the vods. I watched them online and then I immediately went and watched every single flash set that was uploaded. Cause like I watched like one of them, I watched like I think one of the Flash versus Wizard sets, and I was immediately in love with this Falco. So I just went and watched every single bot of his. <laughs> so yeah, I've watched every single set that Flash has played so far. Um, yeah, I've it's, actually uh... known about Flash for a really long time. Uh, I know I knew about Flash several years ago, when um, we were all part of this like group for like really young melee players. Um, the goal is to just like get better. There's a lot of like really really young melee players here. There's a a lot of tri-state people too that ended up getting really, really good. It's called like new generation of melee. It's like a private group. Um, and my friend uh, Django Fett from New York, um, he told me about Flash like like <laughs> like years and years ago. He's like, this guy's amazing. And I played him and I kind of beat him. I was like, yeah, he's all right. <laughs> um, and then like it's like in this past year, he's just gone crazy. Um, when I was watching him, I was thinking, like, this dude is legitimately top 10 level at this game. Like, this is some of the craziest, like, this is some of the best Falco player. I, some of the, this is some of the best Falco play I've ever seen in my life. This just looks, like, perfect. This is, like, how Falco should be played. <laughs> is he the best Falco in the world or the second best Falco? Mm, he's the second best Falco. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, um, Fiction will give him a run for his money for a number Oh, no, yeah, Fiction's Falco. I, I will say, Fiction's Falco, I do not... I believe in it. I, I, I do believe that it's good. I've seen it. I've seen the results. Um, but just like an eye test, his Falco is just like so much funnier than, than Flash's. Flash's uh, Falco from the, like I said, from the five-second Giphy Cats I've seen and from the set, uh, the sets that I've watched of his from Riptide, it's just like so composed and so so ready for everything there was obviously so much thought going into uh all these like micro situations and and how to plan around certain things and i think like when we we usually see runs to ninth place or we see uh runs from up up and coming players like honestly as good as flash's run was and as impressive as it was if you just want to look at it um take it down to brass tacks the only top player that he the only like top 100 player that he beat, I believe is ginger, but the way that he played and the way that he beat ginger, it felt so. It felt repeatable. Yeah. It felt like he could do it multiple times. Like there's a lot of people who've made it to ninth place at a 700 person tournament. And we're not about to be like drunk sloth is top 30 now. Right. But I Mm. think that flash, I'm, I'm not willing to say that this is just going to be a one and done. Um, if we were able to see Flash at more events, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know, right? It's like uh, it, it felt weird to say that he was, you know, whatever should be seated with the top fifty players should be seated with the top one hundred players. It felt weird to say that before the event, uh, and now it feels weird to say that he's like 
possibly top 30, you know, could be top 30 has potential to be top 30. Um, but yeah, I mean, like it's, it's really nuts just from three sets with a top 20 player, uh, and a couple sets with people who are top 100 ish, top 100 level, uh, and, and just like how much, uh, that really plays to the idea that I think he could do better, uh, or just continue to, to do this well. Like, what do you, Edwin, you know, you said it feels repeatable. Do you think we see this, this run again? Or do you think he, do we see that not only this being repeated, but do you think it, he'll, he'll top this? It's so tough to say. I, I, I don't know. I, I think by the eye test, he, like, I, I, the comparison point that I immediately think of is would, would Frenzy be able to make this kind of run at his best? And I don't think, it, I don't, I don't think it's too out of the question for someone like Frenzy to, to have him around that range or even have someone like Albert around that range. So mm-hmm. I think moving forward, you know, again, it's just one event, but moving forward, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think you're too, you would be too crazy for viewing him in that, like somewhere between like Albert, Bobby, Rocky, like frenzy. Like, I think he's very clearly, you know, just watching him play, like not just in those Jiffy cats or whatever, or friendlies or whatever, but just like, his play in tournament, like he's he's clearly around that level of of player yeah. in my so I think those would be good comparison points for him. Yeah, I mean uh, that's crazy. Uh go uh, on, Logan. I want to hear what your thoughts on this are. Uh, I have very weird opinions on Flash. I think he's pretty easily going to top eight his next major. They like I think Crito said it best. Uh Flash just kind of talks like he's like 30 IQ higher than every single person at the venue. Like he's one of the smartest people I've ever interacted with. <laughs> he's really like I don't know, it's hard to describe, but I just like I think he's significantly better than Rocky Albert, like all of those players. Oh like, wow. I, I genuinely think he's just going to like stomp some top 20 players. Do you think he's better than Magi as well? Yeah, I think Magi is not really that good anymore. Um, wow. Magi would, wow. would have to put a lot of effort in there to kind of reach that level again. Mainly because Magi's matchup spread is very uneven. Uh, like Magi is like ungodly amazing versus like Spacey's in particular. Um, but uh, versus like Floaties and like Marth, for example, she doesn't really like have the, I guess, the hours put into those matchups that she does in like the other matchups. Mainly because all of her like practice partners are kind of like spaces players. Uh, she plays a lot with Kalindi, uh, Fiction, WDW, those kind of those kind of people, and th- those players are generally spaces. So, uh, like I, she adopts sets like Mog and stuff. Um, True. But I think yeah, it, it's not it's not like anything against Magi. I just I don't I don't think Magi really like has like i guess the time put into the wide matchup spread to really uh be at that level yet so you're a big flash believer then you think it's yeah I, I think i think flash flash like just based on watching him play is very uh easily my pick for second best falco Damn, that's, that's oh my so god nuts. already this is this is like this is like I, the I, first two stocks of a I'm set and you're like this. oh flash is flash is the best it's we can't let sp99 get it's we can't hard. let sp get too much credit yeah i guess we got a shout out sp99 for this uh it's really hard of sp99 on patreon i believe is like a picture of flash's face so, so I, I think that there's definitely some uh you know 
I, I think Frenzy is a pretty fair there. comparison point, right? Like I, I, I think I know Frenzy's EU, but like but like I, I think that's fair, but Frenzy's getting a lot better and he, he seems to be challenging prof, if not I mean we'll see soon, but like like I like Frenzy seems pretty legit, like in similar style, like approach to the game. Um, I, I think it's it, it's like it's almost really strange, but when like I just play someone or like watch them play, I can just kind of like I guess feel their skill level like in like a national stage it's like when you've played the game enough uh you kind of like past the statistics past the history past anything like you can just kind of feel when players are that good like i put all my marbles on crudo at riptide just because like, i i think crudo is top 30 <laughs> i think crudo is amazing <laughs> i, I feel like, like there's what? so many people in florida that could qualify for that that state just has so many random people who are nasty yeah that, like, nobody, i think, I think nobody crudo is definitely like the standout from that state uh in my opinion did you see so, him versus android zero that was a that was a wild set I did not. I did not watch that set. <laughs> There's a moment in the last stock where Crudo threw out the chain by accident, and uh -huh. like like a knee from Android Zero was either gonna kill him or send him off stage for like a rinse and repeat edge guard. And Android Zero, like I think he just like freaked out, so he just retreated to ledge and hacks <laughs> as Crudo had the chain out. <laughs> Jeez, that's so. But funny. yeah, my my decisions for the fantasy bracket on who I wanted to like pick were like not based on any sort of statistics or like anything like that it was just like these are the players that i think are the best <laughs> i just like and it was super top heavy too like basically what i did was i just i picked like all the players that i thought were guaranteed top eight um and then i just picked like with my remaining money uh, all the people that i thought were way lower cost value like crudo i thought was incredibly underpriced did um, you have flash on your team i did not have flash on my team i could like I was told about Flash. The second best Falco. Wow. I was going to bet. I was going to bet on Flash, and I, I but like I got lazy because I couldn't find Flash in the list of people. It wasn't in like the first like four That's pages, funny. and I just gave up. Well, I, I guess you didn't need to look for him. Uh, you you seem to <laughs> find success. You know, a success that I myself have never gotten. Uh, my my best showing was second place uh, at the Big House Six Fantasy um yeah. so it's pretty you have, I've, never, I've never done a fantasy a bracket before damn <laughs> one and fun. done hey we're talking about flash as a breakout you're you're the true breakout of this tournament um, <laughs> but uh before we're, we're going to talk about obviously there's a lot of players who did uh did have really big breakout performances before we do so i want to talk about uh right before we do that just one last thing flash is someone who you say you think that uh top eight out of the next major is is likely you know you also mentioned earlier in the show about how when it comes to these up-and-coming players it is like the the atmosphere is against them uh you know it's that's a big event it's a lot of people there it's a huge stage and it's something that a lot of these up-and-coming players are not used to flash not only not someone who we saw uh have success on land before the pandemic but not someone who we saw have success on slippy someone who is more of a, a practice person rather than a tournament person. Um, do you think what what were your feelings on Flash's composure, uh, and, and do you think that he will be able to to like replicate that if he was a high level composure? What do, what do you think about that? When I watch him, it just doesn't feel like he's nervous at all. There's no like little like positioning errors. He's very like deliberate. Um, 
it's almost like strange. It's like he doesn't have any nerves. <laughs> it's really weird watching him. Cause like there's players that visibly get nervous. Like you can watch like me kind of rock back and forth. Uh, and then there's like players that like get nervous in their play, but don't physically get nervous like Ben. Uh, and he didn't really seem to have either of those. Um, so it was really like, <laughs> it looked like he had just been playing the game for like 19 years. <laughs> yeah. Really there was a lot of situational awareness and just like, when uh, when something would pop up, just for, I mean, I, I was only able to watch his set versus uh, Ginger, um, so feel free to correct me on anything. But but what I saw was just like, if some if a situation popped up, he was just like, oh, I know what to do here, and uh, you know, whether or not he would do that in a situation where it worked out for him, um, there was always just like a supreme air of confidence in, in whatever he did, like he was There's so ready for everything. There's something strange about the way he plays, and like I couldn't put my finger on it at first, and then like I figured out what it was later, like thinking on it, and it's that like his reaction times are like inhuman. I I, I don't understand like how he's able to play like that unless he's like reading the opponent twenty four seven, because like when like he lasers at them, if they like roll in or do anything to like go in or like away he like reactively turns the next laser around to continue pressure and like he does it at the perfect like low laser spacing reactively and unless he's like reading roll-ins or something on a consistent basis it's just like i don't understand like how he does that it just doesn't like doesn't like compute in my head how he's able to like like just like so he'll go like laser laser and then he put a little roll in, and as he's jumping up for the next like, laser, you think he'll four laser at them to like overshoot or something. And he just turns the laser around and continues pressure the other way. It's so weird. Um, and then the other thing I think about Flash, I think the biggest weakness of Flash is that his punish game doesn't seem like uh, fully there yet. Like I think uh, this is act like actually I think Magi is the person that he could take some punish game notes from because I think Magi has a very very developed, very interesting like punish game. And um, I, th I think Punish is really where Flash needs the most work. His neutral and composure is, like, amazing. It's, it's actually just, like, clearly top 10, in my opinion. Um, but his Punish is just, like, not, not completely there yet. And that's really why I think he lost to Wizro. Like, I, I, I think, like, he just wasn't getting the maximum amount out of his openings. Uh, and Wizro was. Even though, like, Flash was just winning neutral a lot, a lot. Uh, just that punish differential that's kind of what i do <laughs> I, I i lose neutral a lot and then i just like my punish is so good that i just win anyway <laughs> so i'm like kind of the opposite of flash i kind of admire him <laughs> he's like he's super big brained um but yeah that's that's what i think about flash i think his punish game needs a little bit of work i think everything else is just where it needs to be it's, just, it's thought out it's developed it's crisp the reaction times are amazing <laughs> Well, uh, if we're talking like uh, if we're talking breakout players at at this event, obviously Flash is the headliner. Um, I want to give a shout out to actually one of the more underrated uh, runs at this tournament, uh, coming from Kem. Kem, after losing in pools early to Woli, I believe a Michigan Peach and Falco player, um, he went on like a massive run where he beat, like, Scarzo, Preeminent, Free Palestine, and Reeve all in a row to Rest make it back to top... Yeah, to make it, <laughs> yeah, to make it back to top 24 and uh, eventually lose there to Gatsu. But that was but that was actually one of the more, like, like low-key ridiculous 
runs at this tournament that I noticed. We was there anyone or any any set you want to talk about? Yeah. Um. I. I. So. I have a point, and, and before we get to that point, I just want to quickly say we can circle back to this at some point. Uh, what an incredible performance from Secrets to beat Axe! Like, mm-hmm. just a, a thing that you know. Every now and then, you'll see people. I mean, every single major, you'll see people do this. They'll be like, "Oh, you, you know, Wizzy ain't ready for my boy blank," and then that their boy gets steamrolled. Uh, so when I saw like. Oh yeah, you guys got to watch out for secrets versus uh, Axe. I-, I was just thinking, oh, just another, you know, another like person from Colorado is just hyping up their boy. Uh, but there was some real truth to that, and we saw uh, secrets beat Fable. I think that was really, really impressive. Um, someone who I don't think was really necessarily, uh, you know, Riptide was a huge tournament for like teeing people up for success i think there were a lot of people who are up and comers who had a lot of eyes on them i don't think secrets was one of them necessarily and i think that they were able to find success regardless um but yeah i, I want to mention a bunch of players because i mentioned that uh i just mentioned that riptide was a you know tournament where a lot of eyes are on a lot of up-and-coming players i think the the natural inclination for people is to is to look at riptide and be like is slippy real um you know we watched summit 11 uh, and we saw that the, you know, Aklo, Logan, yourself, um, Kadoran, we saw that they are bona fide players, right? But then the, the question goes, okay, so that might be the top echelon. Uh, let's throw a Ben in there as well. Maybe those are the outliers just because they are so, uh, you know, good at the game. Let's see how the, the players a little further down, players outside the top 25, 30, whatever you want to call that level, um, and, and I think that the kind of interesting thing that we saw was that there were breakout performances, but I'm going to read you the list of people. So I'm not going to mention Kadoran. I'm not going to mention Logan. I'm not going to mention Ben. We talked about those players as being kind of uh, a little bit of a tier above. I'm going to mention the people who got top 16 at this event who were not top 100. Flash, we mentioned. Crudo. Wally. <laughs> are like are these players who you would uh, you would hear that and be like, oh, yeah some some real slippy kids right there right some real yeah, definitely not wally not some no real kid. slippy grinders <laughs> um or, or like <laughs> you know juice box is someone who got 17th uh you know you, you start to get some people crazy. who are more slippy grinders but i i think the the cool thing about this is the people who got top 16 who i just mentioned flash crudo wally that's not the epitome of like oh yeah this is like a real slippy kid it's the it shows this kind of cool thing where like Flash, you know, notably entered like one slippy tournament, got 65th. Uh Wally, very notable slippy and monitor hater. Uh, and then you had Kruto who was entering netplay events, but wasn't like the uh, you know, enter six a week and and, and do really well, all of them. Might maybe a more low-key player. Um, I don't think any of these players were considered people who popped off on Slippy. I think it's like really cool that the the prevailing idea was like that a bunch of slippy players are going to be super good but not only did we not see not only are these players not slippy players they're not established top 100 players as well they're people who would just continue to work at this continue to stay good at the game um and i think it's super cool for for melee itself that we are able to see breakout performances from people who we have not seen a lot of both uh you know 
formerly on LAN and uh, in Slippy. I think that's like so cool and that's so good for the state of the game that the the level of breakout players can just continue to come from nowhere. Mm. I think Akuto is like one of those players that was like always that good. He just like couldn't just didn't really travel at all. He doesn't really go to stuff. Uh, Kudo has been good for a really long time. Kudo has always just been really good. Um, but Kudo is strange because like he doesn't really play the game very much. He just kind of watches videos all the time. He has like a very like he has a very good work ethic and he like studies the game a lot, but he doesn't really like play it. Like whenever I ask him to play, he doesn't. He's always like <laughs> I'm not really playing right now. Or like whenever other people ask him to play, he just he doesn't really play the game too much. He just he's just a hardcore studier for sure. Uh, I really admire, um, like, kind of Kuda's work ethic. And in terms of, like, other players, I was very, very surprised that Juicebox is placing. I was like, what? <laughs> uh, I, did, I did not think Juicebox was at that level. Um, I have not played Juicebox in a long time. But really, uh, hasn't Juicebox been around forever? Yeah, like, Juicebox is always... like MDVR mdvapr for like a long time yeah juicebox has always been like my annual pick for like outside of top 100 chic player who will finally break out yeah and every year at a national he he would just like lose to a fox and falco player and get 97th or 65th like every year while maintaining his status on the mdvapr it always felt like a matter of time before juicebox would get like a big tournament but it just never happened until until now i think his run his run was kind of interesting too he beat free palestine and and he beat mog you know for whatever you know i i think i think their local trend typically goes in juice box's favor so that wasn't too surprising but i i guess beating a beating free palestine and sheet ditto is certainly pretty is a pretty good showing for him yeah for sure juice box um Definitely one of those players who kind of printed outside the top 100. Um, you, you mentioned how like you you always call him to break into the top 100. I think that's one of those cool things about melee is that like every year there's just this player who we've known for so long, and it's just like oh okay yo this player they're pretty good they're on their PR maybe not a threat to get top 100, and then just one year at all like they won't even significantly like get better it'll just all kind of coalesce into a performance that that really shows it uh like i I think that's how i kind of viewed polish for a while polish before he uh, ended up making the top 100 i was just like oh yeah he's good really good pr player you know um definitely really someone who's like really really solid and then we just see a year where he places all together and ends up getting like 63rd or whatever uh i i before the pandemic i was like yeah that could just be doc lobster doc lobster could just like become a player who you say, yeah, he's good. Maybe not top 100 level. And then a year of results before you like look back at the end of the year, you're like, damn, I didn't realize it. But he's like 70th in the world. Um, the thing that like, I actually think being like top echelon top player is literally just having that happen like a couple of times. Yeah. Like, I think what being a top top player is, is you get to a certain skill level, then you have the means to attend tournaments and then you get lucky enough to have your breakout performance. Uh, then you reach like, I guess you're like top 100 status now. And now to break into top 50, you have to meet those three conditions again. And basically like, the best players are a combination of factors. They have the means, they have um, the kind of almost like the bracket luck to get the major performance, and then they have the skill level. 
um, to actually like execute that bracket run. So I, there's definitely a lot of factors that really goes into like kind of getting from level to level in this game, other than just like raw skill. Uh, like for example, like I know like uh, in my experience, I feel like like my raw skill is at like this like high level, but I just kept getting like I just been getting like consistently like <laughs> weird brackets. <laughs> Like having to play Axe like round one or like everything, <laughs> um, or like just Pikachu's and that kind of thing, and like really what it takes is just like okay, like this is my day, like I got my bracket luck, my skill is all in place, and like everything just kind of comes together into that big room. So, I th I think there are a lot of factors into being a top player, like and like reaching that rank up. Because like why I say you just need that one breakout performance is because when you beat those players you get this, like, level of natural confidence that, like, you can just do it again. Mm -hmm. So, like, once you get that one breakout run, generally you aren't just going to, like, never ever be able to repeat it or get close to it ever again. Uh, if you keep practicing and keep, like, continuing to, like, work at it, like, you're, you're probably going to get a couple more, like, in that same category. But, like, getting the first one is the hardest. So, like, for me, my absolute hardest part in this game was getting my first top 100 win. And then when I got my first top 100 win, I just got, like, 50 in, like, a year. But like I could just it's like it's like, it's like these like mental barriers that like you set upon yourself like you have to like accomplish something once but once you do that you can just accomplish it over and over and over again. Um, that, that's kind of how I feel about like leveling up in this game is you get the luck to accomplish something once and then the skill is being able to replicate it. That's a really interesting way to put it because I I, I think that um, there's a lot of thoughts about what it takes to be top 100 and I think the more you get into melee. Um, I wouldn't say it's like being disillusioned, but I, I think like you're open to the idea that the skill in melee is just like so wide open, um, and and I think that that's like true for any game at a competitive level. Is that like the top 100 players? There's a ton of people who could be that. But I think for melee, it's really interesting just because it's it's such a refined game after 20 years of play. Um, and I think I think you're totally right. Like I, I think that. Uh, there's a lot of players who we've seen do really well for a really long time. And then it, it's just the right bracket. And then they're set, you know, it's for you, you get start to get better seeds. Of course, that's part of it, but it's also, yeah, just like the, the confidence of it and the play um, naturally come together. Uh, I think that's like a really interesting point that I don't think people talk about enough. And 100%, I think you're like spot on when you mention the ability to go to tournaments, <laughs> like for any up and coming player, um, I think the biggest thing, if you're talking about wanting to make the top 100, is just the ability to go to X number of majors, you know, like three, four, five, um, whatever it is. It's just like so important for a top player, for a, an emerging top player to just show up and be there. And I think that uh, going into this event, Riptide, what was kind of really interesting is that, yeah, there was the top players who we wanted to see how that turned out. And I think that was cool. I think that was fun. Um, but there was a ton of people who we were able to see so much more of through Slippy just because, like, the barrier of entry to going to a tournament was just so low for Slippy, right? A lot of the stuff was free. You know, there was obviously paid stuff. But if you were someone who weren't, what, like, maybe you're like, uh, you know, Ben's kind of in a little bit of a remote area. Ben's obviously a super young player as well. I think he's, like, only 18 right now. Uh, I think he's 19, but he's a younger 19 than me. Okay, never mind. It's not impressive. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, if he's 18 or 19, it's just like, uh, and yourself as well, you know, uh, like 
even though you were someone who attended uh, a, a decent number of majors, uh, it's just like being able to enter so many tournaments and, and have that like be in the forefront of people's minds, be able to have so many results, I think is so important. Even if when a top 100 eventually comes out, you know, we probably won't see any online results um, used. I think that like the ability to have people learn about players outside of like whoever places 17th at one major. I think that's a really good thing for the player pool. Um, that being said, it's super cool to see Riptide have a lot of play- players who did really well in Slippy do well. You know, if you, if you want to look at like the 17th, 25th players, we have people like JFlex, who obviously has been top 100 before, but, but it really did well. Um, leveled up like the past like couple months really hard yeah the online and locally locally in new jersey just doing really well uh harry pogger i think is someone who who we've seen a lot of uh who i probably wouldn't have called uh, harry pogger 3 0 kuyashi that that caught me completely I, yeah i don't I, get I that did not ex- i did not ex- expect him to 3-0 them and, and that, that was a rough tournament for kuyashi Harry Pogger and uh, Mott Money sending sending them home. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think this is such a super cool event to be able to see so many players from so many different. I don't know paths of melee. I don't know the the way to say that where it doesn't sound dumb, but uh, yeah, it, it's really cool to see this. What's up, Edwin? I need to mention the most ridiculous run to thirty third <laughs> that no one is talking about. I want to talk about someone called Big Pika. Yes, play- oh, yeah, Big Pika. <laughs> a, a player I had heard of a couple times over over quarantine, but never actually seen them play. But God, look at this run. Pleba, Ferris Wheel, Tempo, Blue, right after Blue sent Michael out of out of the tournament into losing to Dreffen for 33rd. What a ridiculous run. I had never heard of this player before, and, and, and I know a, a lot of players. Puff player, right? Yeah, <laughs> Puff three owed Blue right after Blue eliminated Michael. What yeah. a ridiculous also, result! Hey, you're you're talking about Blue like Blue's a household name. Blue's another like beating Michael. That's that's pretty yeah. crazy. That, mm-hmm. it, yeah, I mean, this tournament is something where it's one of those. This is like such a great tournament to to go back to open majors. I think Summit Eleven was like the perfect thing to bring back land melee. So exciting. Uh, and then Riptide is such a great thing to bring back open bracket melee because I think the top four was great. I think the top eight was great. Top 16 has a lot of interesting things. Like the further and further you go down, there's always just more interesting stuff. Even if it's like Michael getting 65th, even that far in bracket is still so interesting to see. Yeah, I think that's such a great point. Like, dude, we could probably do another episode about this bracket if we wanted. The fact that we barely mentioned secrets and and really didn't mention Axe losing round one pools to getting, what, fifth? Um, just shows, like, just how crazy this tournament was. The um, I actually think that, like, I mean, mentioned that, like, talking about the old guard of Melee, I think this tournament and Summit both, like, made me confident that the new players are going to overthrow the old guard relatively soon. Like, I, I, I it's a really strange take, considering that the old guard was, like, the top placing at, like, these tournaments. But just, like, watching this set, I get the feeling that, like, a lot of the players are, like, that are, like, have this, like, okay, how do I word this? 
Um, the players on the net play era have the skill to just beat those old guard players, and they are now gaining the confidence and the experience to actually take the full set, like, all the way. And uh, that's kind of what, like, I'm witnessing is that, like, the sets that, like, new players are winning versus, like, the old guard, these sets don't look like flukes anymore. They look like repeatable, like, sets that, like, just could happen over and over and over again. They don't look like... Oh, that player just got really, really lucky, or like cheesed out the victory uh, by catching someone off guard. Like, no, these like these new players actually look like they can just repeat the accomplishments over and over and over again. And I say that like just kind of like looking at the sets because I take like a stance in melee that like melee will generally just filter the players that are putting in the work for the players that are not putting in the work. Just like over time, like as time progresses the like the new guard will simply just overtake the old guard just due mm-hmm. to the work they're putting in and not to say that the old guard isn't putting in like the work cuz obviously they are but the work ethic and the efficiency of which new players are like putting into the game has not really been seen before cuz when you think of a game like melee i actually think the skill level it need you need to be like top 20 in melee is like it's so much more doable than a game like, I guess, like League of Legends or like even just like a sport. Um, I think that like if you like the hardest part about being really, really, really good at melee is the work ethic and the discipline. Um, I don't think it's actually just like, I think you can like literally just like, if you have a method to just studying your VODs and working on like concrete noticeable things like every single day, then you will just like naturally just ascend to the top 20 over time. And like the players that are like falling out of it are the ones who are not following that routine. It's like when Lod talks about his golden pathway or whatever. I, I think like literally the players that are just like winning are just the ones who are doing that. And the players at the top are just the ones who are doing it the most. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think like Melee is one of those games where like you just need like a ton of just natural starting talent and like absurd like uh, like mechanical skill or anything like that like stuff that like i think melee is a game that like anyone can be like top level at and i think it's a really cool thing about melee all right so logan uh this is a good transition to the uh, final segment of our show which we go over patron and fan questions for you and i have to say the patron questions for this episode not very good but we, <laughs> but we have a, but we have a few that we wanted to point out so i'll ask you the first one uh, from patron Yamham. How do you feel about people comparing your Marth to Mewtwo Kings? Did you study much when you were getting good? Um, when someone compares my Marth to Mewtwo King, what I feel is deep joy. Because I <laughs> I study, like, Mewtwo King was the player that I studied more than anyone else. I absolutely love Mewtwo King's Marth. <laughs> Uh, I think Mewtwo King is like one of my favorite players, if not like my favorite player overall. I still think Dreffin's my favorite player of all time, but Mewtwo King, Dreffin, uh, those like players are really all up. Quite there. some picks right there. <laughs> How do you I think lo- your uh, I love play all style the weird compares. intelligent cheek mains. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you became a Marth main. How do you th- <laughs> How do you think your Marth compares to Mewtwo King specifically? I guess. Mm, I think my movement. And my like micro spacing is better, but I think his like consistency and following like plans and his ability to like edge guard like these situations 100% of the time and like the level of experience he has just makes him like a much better player than me. But like 
it's weird because like I think I have aspects of my Marth like that I play that are just better than everyone else in the world, but like I'm like deficient in some areas that other Marths are like much better than me at. Like for example, planning and um, edge guards are two areas that I struggle to do consistently. And like generally, if you watch the sets that I drop versus players, almost like like. I would say like 70 to 80% of them are due to me like missing edge guards. When I'm playing well, the main difference you notice is that I hit edge guards. That is like the big thing. And people aren't living to 180 every stock versus me. Um, but like Mutic King, like just like gets those edge guards like every single time. And I think that's um, a skill that is really underrated because being consistent at aspects like edge guarding and those punishes and stuff like that are, it's not, it's not easy. And it's so dependent on how you're feeling and your mentality and that kind of thing. But like, no matter like, what the day is, Mewtwo King will hit those edge guards. And I, I really think that's a skill that I admire. I, I admire that level of consistency. Yeah, that's cool. Um, speaking about consistency, it, it is cool to see how you approach that. Um, you know, the similarities to Mewtwo King. Considering Mewtwo King was famously a player who was very matchup dependent uh, in terms of what characters he would go. There's actually, you know, a lot of characters who we haven't seen a lot of high level Marth versus, you know, chic Mark, 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 <laughs> uh, Marth Wahlberg. Is that something? Sorry. Uh, we haven't seen a lot of high level Marth versus Falcon from him. Like there's a lot of things that we haven't seen. So I think it is cool that, uh, you know, you're able to recognize the similarities and then also, um, take that into your game plan in a way that he was not able to. We have another Marth question. Um, this is from Dr. Lame. Uh, and, and Dr. Lame is going to ask about uh, what are the most important things for a PR level Marth to implement with goals of reaching top 100. So you already kind of mentioned what you think is necessary for top 100. Um, any more specifics that you want to go into that? Maybe about Marth specifically. I'm actually thinking about writing a guide to becoming a top player from like start to finish. Um, but I, I think what, what really uh, like, okay. So going from like mid level to high level is all about um how like consistent and solid your movement is so like can you get from point a to point b efficiently and like without going further than you intend to or shorter than you intend to so to do that for example the strategy i took uh was uh going uh on pokemon stadium and like wave dashing to little like aspects of like the ground like the designs on the ground like so i'd say okay Today, my practice is going to be, can I go from like the inner ring of the Pokeball to like the yellow triangles on Pokemon Stadium? Can I wave dash from that point to that point? Can I dash dance in between those two points without leaving them? Um, and I also mix like constant shield stopping into my gameplay. Uh, I, I don't think that's something that like the other Mars are doing uh, a lot of is that like constant use of shield stop to control drift really, really well. That's actually what Axe said to me after we played her set. He was like, your drift is like absolutely absurd levels. Um, you just need to get like the like the experience and that kind of thing, um, but um, I think really really getting your movement from point A to point B without going any further or any shorter is important. And then once you kind of once your movement is to the point where you're able to execute it consistently, like almost all of the time, uh, from there it becomes a matter of building a series of game plans for every single character, and then kind of. Uh, reworking them as you get new information, as you get your VODs, etc. I think that's probably the most efficient way to improve. It's having like base plans for every matchup and then just changing them as you get new information, like uh, reworking them over time constantly. Uh, but like really 
the key to being a top player is to have a solid base that you work of off of and only make small adjustments to that plan as you play different players. Because what a lot of people do is they like go from one game to another playing completely differently and they're not able to get like efficient progress out of that because they're not like learning what is working with not because so many things could go wrong in one game plan and so many things could go wrong in other game plans could take forever for you to fix all those like little mistakes if you're constantly switching what you're doing up so like i, I want to have very very steady plans i think watching Wizrobe play was what helped me get better a lot like trying to understand what makes Wizrobe really really good at the game because he's probably the player that I've watched the most of. Uh, I don't really watch the Mars as much as I watch Wizrobe play uh, a lot. Uh, specifically because I think his level of consistency and following a plan is uh, what you need to just win over and over and over again. Um, it's really but... cool that you're able to to see that in a player who... You know, I, I'm not sure if... Um, this would be an interesting thing you talk about to some people who are you know also top echelon players... Uh, also, maybe up and coming players, but I think it's really interesting for you to talk about how like there's a lot that you see in Dreffen, or there's a lot that you see in Wizrobe, or something like that. Obviously, very different characters than Marth. Um, that's like a really interesting thing, and I think uh, it's obviously shown its worth. Um, we've seen a lot of great things from you, so that's that's super cool to see. So, Logan, I I had I have a, another question for you. Um, this one is from Melee Stats patron Rich. Um, you, you went into this a little bit earlier, talking about specifically the more like external factors, like just preparing yourself on the on the big stage, being being mentally ready, like making sure you're not nervous. But without giving uh, any of the secret sauce away, Rich wants to know what's your plan to beat Axe next time. Um, so I have now made uh, OKP into my Pika um, slave, basically. And uh, that I am taking everything I learned from my Axe Vods and everything I learned from playing him, and then immediately going in DMs and telling OKP everything he needs to do to play like Axe, uh, and then just trying to practice with OKP as much as possible by making him play like Axe as much as possible. So that, that's one of the things I'm doing. The other thing is that uh, I'm working on my like ability to stay composed under pressure, so like not just F smashing 24-7 when I get stressed out. Uh, you'll notice in both of my sets versus Axe, whenever I, like, I lose a close game, the next game I immediately just start S-smashing constantly. And that's because like I just I get too antsy for the win. So I really think all the factors I need to beat Axe are... Uh, a lot of it is external in that I just need to learn to not crack under the pressure and start playing, like straying from the plan. Because the plan I had was working so well. Like you watch that first game versus Axe, like... I was up the whole time. The only time that like I lost was at the very end when he zero to death me because I started playing anxious because he's at last stock one hundred percent, and I wanted to win. So like if I play where like I focus on just winning like the interactions and not just like trying to force the victory when it's not time to win yet, then I will uh, be able to actually take those games that I'm getting really really close to winning and then just not winning. Uh, like the third game too, I was up two stocks to one, got super anxious for the win. Dropped it. <laughs> I think just judging by uh, watching the games, being a, being a spectator of uh, like all levels of play for, for various years, um, that is one of the things that I kind of look into when, when seeing a player who's going to really break out. Um, like obviously like a, a top win is really good, but I also think like 
just seen a, a top level player have really, really close sets and, and just barely lose um, is really good data because if they're able to consistently do that, you're, you're able to know that um, they have what it takes to win. It's just, they have what we talked about earlier that, you know, that might be some sort of nerves might be not being used to that situation. I remember specifically like seeing bananas, just barely lose to Swedish delight, just barely lose to Mike Hayes. And I was like, okay, I think Benaz is going to be really good. Um, obviously turned out to be like the, the highest debut on a top 100 that we ever seen went from uh, just outside of 100, like one Oh two to 19th. So yeah, I, I do think that there's a lot of merit in, in like looking at players who are able to do a lot of the right stuff. And then maybe, um, maybe not able to to complete it but i think like that means that 90 percent of it's already done so i think that's uh i think that's a really good point and i think that for anyone who's willing to watch uh sets like that i think that there is a lot uh to be learned you know what's really funny i think there's going to be like three players this year that debut higher in the top 100 like on their first top 100 than um bananas <laughs> you think there's going to be people who are wow like top 15 who debut yeah i think Adarwin will be there um he was he, he was already uh he was ranked 70th so it's gotta oh. be you gotta be you gotta be ben aklo flash i think aklo yeah flash. oh my god and flash yeah. <laughs> aklo flash. flash gonna debut at ninth uh ben when he stops playing nervous me when i stop playing nervous um they keep canceling every top 100 that i have a chance of getting on so <laughs> I, th- I, I think on it's MPGR very personal 20 20- on MPGR 2023, when I'm about to retire and I've won like 20 majors, when they create the first MPGR that I'm finally on, um, <laughs> then I will finally. We'll, will we'll finally make sure that <laughs> we'll make sure that there's no MPGR until you're going to be first place. We'll yes, make sure you debut at one. I want to debut at one. That would be the most like <laughs> amazing, crazy thing ever. <laughs> well, we'll make it happen. I'll I'll rig this. Pitas, yeah. uh, Pitas won't realize. Please no top 100 yet. Please no top 100. <laughs> <laughs> uh that's fun um yeah dude that uh i got actually wait let me give one more question super quick uh this is from Teslik. this is from melee stats patron Teslik. uh what is your favorite color my favorite color is indigo oh like, very specific kind of, kind of like a purplish blue or like a bluish purple i guess like the kind of in between between blue and purple i don't like really like like saturated like bright purples i like those kind of muted purples and i like those um kind of ashy purples um i actually have like a like a list somewhere on my computer of all of my favorite hex code colors oh that's sick that i actually (laughs) i i like that a lot uh i keep a google sheet of all the hex codes for the roles in the melee stats discord (laughs) um I'll have to. I'll have to get my eyes on that at some point. Yeah, I think you know you're, what's funny. You're like a uh, perfect mix between me and Edwin. I'm my blue is my favorite color. Edwin, you wanna? Yeah, I'm, mine wanna is reveal? a tie. Yeah, mine is a tie between black and purple. Mm. Yeah. Um. Hold on. I'm gonna actually find you right now. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I'm gonna find you to the hex code. My exact favorite color. Give me just one second. <laughs> okay. okay. While you're looking that up, I'm gonna. So we'll send that over i'll i'll read the hex code out to people and they can imagine what it looks like um before we before we end the show there's a little segment that we want to do you know we talk about melee all the time um but we're trying to introduce the idea that we're not solely melee beings right like we have lives Mm -hmm. uh ostensibly outside of melee 
per um, se debatably <laughs> <laughs> debatably uh but yeah like uh it's a good opportunity to talk about what we have been up to recently that uh might not be focused on melee um i think we have not had a name for this segment it's been one of our segments that we've never named uh edwin do you want to should we name it at any point we can call it like touching grass uh i don't think we should name it touching grass but basically (laughs) what we do is we just like to we like to remind the viewers that we do things outside of melee and our regular people also so we just kind of take like two or three minutes each of us to talk about whatever is on our mind or whatever we've been up to outside of smash Mm. um here i'll i'll start you off while you're picking up that hex code um so this past weekend i traveled to the midwest (laughs) i did not go to riptide in sandusky ohio i went to chicago illinois i went to see the pitchfork music fest at uh union park in chicago uh with former melee stats podcast guest jim jam flim flam friend of the show um it was an amazing experience it was the first festival that i've went to on that type of scale i went to a few smaller ones in uh the greater philadelphia region but uh yeah very fun to be able to travel for something like that um a pretty good experience all things considered and uh i i mean i saw some really great shows i am in the picture i mean you can spot me in the crowd wearing a slippy hat in the pictures from the dog leg show uh they were amazing and i also want to shout out um another artist called eve's tumor they were very very good i was in the mosh pit for that and my entire body was like covered in dirt uh but but very well worth it i would uh recommend eve's tumors two albums to anyone who is interested in uh kind of like a reconstruction of what rock can be kind of this uh this idea of like looking at the uh just the like general concept of like rock stardom uh and and coming at it from from just different perspectives so i would say uh yeah check out dog leg check out east tumor check out chicago the bean was super fun and uh not really my recommendation for or my touching grass moment or whatever we want to call it for the week but uh i will say that norm mcdonald uh, unfortunately did just pass away someone who i have not been keeping up with in the past few years but when i was like a teenager i thought he was so incredibly funny um i really respect the guy for being able to just uh he was not always someone who was saying the funniest things. He was very hit or miss, but I think that, that there's like some some fun and some respect to be had in, in a comedian who would just uh, be really, really willing to bomb uh, if it also meant that, you know, when he didn't bomb, it ended up being hilarious. So uh, I guess Norm MacDonald and the various artists of Pitchfork Music Fest 2021 will be my uh, my little touching grass segment for the week. All right. Uh, I'm just going to reaffirm that I don't want to name the segment Touching Grass, but uh, <laughs> I, I did catch catch you that. I, I, uh, I'm I, not going to do that. But I will say something I've been pretty busy with over the last week. Uh, I've re- rediscovered my love for the Hitman games. Uh, I got the new trilogy for, uh, for PlayStation. It's been pretty fun. I played Blood Money as a kid, really liked it casually. Got into Hitman. I've been really... I've, been really having a blast i just got the third game today i finished the first two i will say the craziest thing in the world about getting into hitman was randomly finding out that atrioc yes the former twitch employee chic player from norcal atrioc is an incredible hitman player 
and holds or held the world record for silent assassin <laughs> suit only playthroughs of that the that is wild trilogy, I, of hitman I, 3 or the entire trilogy or whatever i said i actually dm'd him and i was like what the hell like you're the best hitman player in the world i knew you streamed video games i knew you streamed hitman at one point i didn't realize you were legit wow Adrian, that's crazy and he was like oh yeah i love Hitman." this is how edwin becomes a twitch star <laughs> I I just just <laughs> randomly Atrioc is an incredible hitman player. How was I out of the loop on this? That that's my catch up for the week. Um <laughs> uh, Logan, I want to hear about what's been going on in your world. Obviously it doesn't have to be just this past week, but um considering you're known so much as a it's like a really melee diehard, it'd be interested to hear what's going on. Before you say that, uh I want to read this hex code out uh for for all the fans. Uh Octothorpe. Two E two eight three nine. So uh, every every fan who's listening on a podcast app or watching this on YouTube or hey watching this right now, just close your eyes and imagine what that looks like. <laughs> uh, but yeah, what's uh what's been going on? Um, I wrote three hundred pages of poems and I'm planning on trying to get some of them published. I just write like a lot constantly nowadays. And I, I wrote my first uh, article for Team Liquid. Um, it's going to be nice. dropped soon. I finished it a while ago. Basically, what I've, we've been waiting on since then is like trying to get the graphic for it. Because like the person at Team Liquid is in charge of their graphics got like sick, so they're on medical leave right now. So we've been waiting for them. So I'm gonna I'm probably gonna start working on my second article relatively soon. Uh, I actually think I, for that I'm either gonna I'm gonna do a Riptide recap, but there's a player I want to focus on, and that's S Fat. Because I really want to write a lot about SFAC because he's one of the most interesting players in the world to me. Um, and in terms of other things I've been doing, I've been getting better at guitar. Nice. Uh, I have been painting a decent amount. I've got a lot of paintings on my Twitter, but I've been doing kind of some for myself recently. Uh, and Tales of Arise came out, so once I get that installed, I'm going to start trying to play that. I've been really busy right now with school in particular. That's why I haven't been streaming as much. I haven't streamed in a while. Uh, I got to stream recently. It was pretty fun. But I do like so much schoolwork every day. It's hard to be able to do anything else. My, my semester this year is absolutely brutal. I got like neuroscience, statistics, uh, foreign language, uh, some other stuff. It's a little bit, it's a little what foreign long. language? Uh, I'm taking Spanish. I was taking Japanese, but then it was like, it's too hard on top of all that other stuff. So I just chose Spanish because I already know, know it, basically. Really? I, I, dude, this like Thursday, I was like, I should learn Spanish more than I know, which is just like, uh, I took it for one year, senior year of, of high school, while I was already taking like year six of French or whatever. Uh, I just took it as kind of like a fuck off class. Um, and some of it stayed in there. Uh, but really all I remember is like Autopista and Espiradora. Uh, There's actually one really funny time where I was in the car with one of my friends coming back from the airport and he was speaking in Spanish to the driver. I was like learning stuff about my friend, even though like I don't speak Spanish, I was able to pick this up. I was like, you went to Germany and you didn't tell me. Um, so yeah, I would, I would like to learn Spanish. Hey, Maybe in a year from now, I think we already promised that we're going to be buff. We're going to be in a year from now. We're going to be buff, and we're going to be doing waiting for a game in perfect fluent Spanish. Mm. And buff. 
Um, yeah, at Riptide, uh, I was given a reminder that I'm supposed to be weightlifting. I'm going to be weightlifting uh, a little bit more. I was doing it before, um, but then like COVID kind of hit and then I was like, okay, um, I, I want to focus on Melee for a little bit. So I stopped really doing it as much. I kind of ran out of time with school and Melee and all that other stuff. Uh, but I need to get back on the grind for that because honestly, I'm weightlifting because I think it would be really funny to see me really ripped. Like, I just think it would be like really comedic. Hey, to be, if like, that's really what it buff. takes. Because <laughs> like I, I don't know, I just think it'd be hilarious for me in particular to just be absurdly like jacked. <laughs> uh, I, I do like the idea of getting jacked for the bit. Just yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it's pretty a good bit. bit. <laughs> um. And in terms of like, like I want to start eating a little bit healthier too because like Bobby Siege, SFS coach, has been like really getting on to me about the benefits of like healthy eating, and he's been sending me like recipes for stuff I can make. So it's pretty easy. So yeah, Bobby Siege, uh, I need, <laughs> I promised him that I would make and try his spaghetti recipe. So I have to, <laughs> I have to get on that grind and try that. Nice. Well, yeah, I I personally could not wait for waiting for game twenty twenty three. Uh, after we discuss your first major win and we're all buff and it's all in Spanish. So <laughs> I cannot wait to have you back on for that. Uh, until then, you have been a wonderful guest. This has been great. Uh, I've been so excited to hear about, you know, you're, you're one of the players who I think that uh, a lot of people have, you know, seen do really well and uh, associated with Slippy. And it's been really interesting to get to talk to you. And uh, Man, Riptide. Yeah, I mean, like, honestly, we could do another two hours on that tournament. Such So much to talk about. So I'm so appreciative that you were able to come on and do that with us. Um, do you have any socials you want to plug before we get out of the way? Um, follow me on Twitter at LoganSSBM. Bigger number, better person, for sure. Um, <laughs> follow me on Twitch at LoganSSBM. Um, that's about it. I don't really care about any other socials. I should probably do YouTube content. I'm thinking about doing video essays, but I have so much on my plate. I'm the kind of person to start like 20 different things at once and then not get good at any of them. <laughs> hey, speaking uh, of video essays, if you want to check out some video essays, we have them on uh, the Melee Stats YouTube channel. That's where you can find our long form content. If you want to see uh, episodes of Waiting for Game, you know, also some extras. And uh, I believe we have, I think, it's, is it the only YouTube uploading of uh, Axe versus Secrets, Edwin? Uh, yeah, I think there might be one other one with sound, but the one I was given was was the one without sound. Okay, so so a... we also have some uploads of uh some some tournament vods, some slip, some SLP files that you can check out over there. It's gonna be the melee stats archive. Obviously, if you want to watch our show live, we do it on Twitch.tv/slash melee stats. You can follow us over on Twitter, where we're gonna post about results. We're going to uh post our uh links to content you can find that at tw uh, twitter.com slash melee stats pod and if you want to see the content that we make on uh, our website our written content it's going to be melee stats.co you're going to find stuff like monday morning marth you're going to find when's melee and uh if you are so appreciative of all of that content that we give to you if you want to support us you can do so at patreon.com slash melee stats Logan, Edwin, what a wonderful episode. Uh, I was afraid that two Marths would be too much for me, but it turned out to be just great. Uh, I appreciate you guys for being on, and I appreciate everyone for watching. All right, uh, I will see all of you next week. Uh, check me out on the Alston Melee podcast this Thursday, uh, and if you can't do that, then I will see you next week on Waiting for Game. Peace. See, see you guys. Thank you for having me on.